Hey, this is Dewey from the Peer Pleasure Podcast, and you're listening to Discography Discussion. You're listening to Discography Discussion, episode 215, Fear Before the March of Flames, with Dewey Helpus of Pure Pleasure. A 15-minute call could save you a purchase of a 7-dust record. Hosted by Dan Terry. I'll get off the phone with like somebody that I never thought I'd be able to talk to on a podcast and immediately go to changing diapers. John Beatty. Joe, I want you to acknowledge my joke. And Joseph Wren. Good luck. Presented by DiscussMetal.com. That was intense. <laughs> and if you're Mr. Brightside because you slayed the shadows, then you are ready for this episode of Discography Discussion. I am Joe. That is Dan. That is John. Dewey is here as the crowd roars. And we're talking about Fear Before the March of Flames, gentlemen. Or is it Fear Before? I thought the story changed at one point, but then it kind of changed back. It depends on where you look, right? It's what you want it to be, man. Depends it's on how you big your writing be. is on the paper. <laughs> yeah, if I'm running out of space on that in that uh, college rule spiral notebook, I might just write fear before and call it a day. But uh, yeah, this is interesting. And this is one of those things where like, I know people are going to listen to the episode and be like, this is not bad rule. Uh, you know, but I, I want everybody to be cool. I don't want this to turn into another Thursday episode uh, situation. Um, where everybody's like, hey, uh, I thought you guys were a metal podcast. And um, in the words of my late friend Sven, you're right. Well, you know, it, that's the whole thing is is this is normally where I'd be like, well, I've never said it was a metal podcast. The term discography discussion can be applied to anything. But like if you go to all of our socials, it's all like a metal podcast. <laughs> so, uh, you know, um, Fear Before, though, is an interesting band in the sense that they are intense to the level where you could mistake what you're listening to uh, for for metalcore. Uh, I don't think that's what it is, but I'm not going to be the genre police on it. Um, I think what these guys do is truly unique, and uh, they're definitely a band that I got a bad start with uh, because I had a girlfriend that things added ended badly with that was obsessed with this band. Um, so I had to I had to let, you know, 15 years of, of anguish and grief go in order to listen to this objectively. Um, but I actually really came out uh, really, really liking it. And I think they were a band that got better uh, as they went. I'm sorry, Dan. I'm going to need you to be the genre police because I need everyone to get mad at you for saying what genre this band plays most of the time. <laughs> uh, I believe this is fashion core, right? It's all about those tight pants. I mean, so the first time I heard this band, I thought like, okay, it's like Alexis on fire, right? You know, it's um, not. but it's not. Uh, I mean... Vocally, I think I think the screams. There's a similarity there. It's got kind of that. Um, it's got kind of that that growly, um, br- breathy. Is that right? Breathy. Can I say breathy on a podcast? Is that cool? You yeah, just did that up. So breathy. I'll allow it. So breathy. Um, but you know, it's almost like it's like it's like a 15 year old kid doing his best Zao voice. Uh, is the way I the way I look at some of these screams. Um, and actually, I actually can hear stuff like um, Seisha, um, like those type of like screamo or like as kids call them now, scrams bands, even though I don't know if scrams is like what? a real term or not. Um, but I definitely hear a little bit of that screamo stuff in here. And um, I don't know. It's, it's hard to pinpoint a genre. And I think that in a lot of ways, that's kind of a strength of the band is 
you can listen to the band on their own terms on their own merits and you don't have to just be like oh i like this band because they fit into this category or this box um and i think that as their discography goes on um we we start to hear a lot of different elements kind of come in uh, whereas the first two records are predominantly more heavy more screamy um, they start getting a little bit more experimental, maybe a hair pretentious uh, as you get into the last record. But um, but I'm here for it. So that's as close to genre police as you're going to get here. I'm not going to I'm not going to give you guys a 20 minute tirade on the differences between technical death metal and uh, brutal technical death metal. So, you know, that's not this episode. Well, before Dan tells us exactly what this episode is about, I'm going to take this time to say thank you to everyone for listening to the podcast. Thank you for listening and for subscribing. If you are not a subscriber, then you can find everything discography discussion at discussmetal.com. We are on Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. So if you have an Amazon Echo or a Google Home, you have no excuse. Ask it to play the latest episode of the Discography Discussion podcast, and it will. We're also on Facebook and on Twitter at Discuss Metal. Be sure to like, favorite, and subscribe. It really helps us out. It lets us know you're listening. And now Dan is going to tell us all about five-star reviews. Hey, we do enjoy our reviews here on Discography Discussion. So if you're an Apple podcast listener, leave us a review. It just makes me feel better. I don't know if it really does anything for the algorithm or anything, but... You know, if you're if you're wanting, you know, to take my frequent shitty days and make them into a not so shitty day, uh, leave me a review. Or on the flip side, if you want to make my shitty day even shittier, leave us a one star review. I mean, it's totally up to you, man. Whatever you uh, whatever you think our podcast deserves, uh, you go ahead and just write that thing down there. Uh, one of the things you guys have been doing a lot that has really helped us out, actually helped us out, uh, has been sharing the episodes. Um, you guys have been sharing them with your friends, your family, your grandparents, uh, your bosses, uh, potential employers. Uh, and I got to say, I really appreciate that because they, they definitely need to hear what kind of shit I'm talking about uh, on my podcast. And, um, you know, I, I really appreciate you guys that have been sharing it in the Facebook groups and all that. Um, I like how I will post something in a Facebook group and then my post gets deleted because you guys have already posted it. Uh, so, uh, so I appreciate that. Uh, like 100%. That's, that's kind of a cool feeling. Uh, I don't mind being in Facebook jail, uh, for a reason like that. It's a good problem to have. Speaking of good problems to have, do you want to shout out our beloved patrons, Dan? Yeah, Joe, I would love to shout out our Patreon subscribers. Uh, and that would be Temu Rantila. Well done. <laughs> well, you wrote out a pronunciation key for me. So we, we got this in the bag. Dangerous Dave. He's the world's most dangerous man. Ryan Rowe, Richard Renz, Christopher and Rebecca Sherling, Tyler, and I know it's you, Tyler Wand, Josiah Heiberg, Luke Robinson, Brandon Miranda, Ken Zapla, Tantalized Fungans, best name ever, Jeremy Prince, Josh Moser, David Brown, Samuel Woodward, Brian Dean, Kiki Kuti, do you love me? I do love you. Lance Allagood. <clears throat> The King of Metal. Alexander, Patrick Aspland, and Jeffrey De Los Santos. The actual Mac. You guys are the music makers. You are the dreamers of the dreams. We really appreciate you guys so much. And uh, I also want to I also want to want to make a shout out too that uh, if you guys are at the true Discuss Metalhead level, you will get uh, access to our uh, Patreon hangouts. Uh, we did a hangout just recently. Uh, right here on StreamYard, and it was incredible. Uh, it was fun getting to talk to you guys face-to-face -face and answer whatever questions you guys had, uh, as well as just bullshit, man. I mean, I love to just bullshit, and it was so stress-free, and it was so fun having you guys there, so uh, definitely make sure to look out for that uh, for that update or that uh, notification you'll get when we're doing 
another hangout because that was super, super fun. Hey, Dewey. Yo. What's going on in the Peer Pleasure Podcast? Oh, man. Building the bank. Tons of episodes in the bank. We've got... Uh, this is this when this is coming out. I have no idea what's going to be happening. So, uh, yeah, lots of good stuff. Lots of good stuff. We got. Um, let's see what's coming up that's going to happen before this. We've got uh, HR from the Bad Brains. We've got Riley from Thrice. We've got uh, Jason White from Green Day. We've got um, man. There's just a whole bunch. So you just talked to the scott bowling doing i did but that that just are that already happened that happened weeks ago (laughs) (laughs) bowling himself yes it was a good chat and i locked myself out of this studio and i almost missed it uh when i went to use the restroom someone locked one of the locks i don't have the key to and uh yeah there you go man that's a bummer yeah i need to get my ass down to atlanta and do my own uh good company with bowling can't i gotta be like john and become a superstar from sitting down in scott bowling's basement and getting drunk I mean, honestly, I'd be fine with that and not even doing the doing the interview. <laughs> Just get drunk with Scott Bowling. I, there can't be a better thing. So uh, we got a uh, well, we got a book uh, in our Facebook Messenger, and uh, I feel I feel the need to read it because it's something that I, I kind of want to say something about. Um, not defensively, I think dude brings up a lot of good points. Uh, and this is from uh, Christopher Blosser. He sent us a message on Facebook, and he says, "Got to admit, your discography review of Sepultura really pissed me off." And sorry for this rant, but I feel compelled to vent. Indulge me. We are indulging you, Christopher. With respect to the post-max discography, I was actually much like you post-roots. I largely discounted Sepultura for a decade or more. I rep- I resented Max's departure and never gave Derek the Derek era a second thought. A couple of years ago, I decided to put all bias aside and give their entire discography a fair listen with the understanding that, that it was not going to be the Sepultura that I knew from the 80s and 90s but I was going to explore it as a band in its own right. Yes, the first several albums of the Green Era are weak and subpar, but I honestly think that given a fair listen, you will find that the band does evolve continuously and better themselves with each subsequent album. What I did find myself appreciating about Sepultura post-Max was the creative risks that they took beyond Thrash. Uh, Revolusong's covers of Ministry, Prodigy, Massive Attack, Jane's Addiction, and U2, for example, was a good LP. Or the fact that the band would attempt a concept album centered on Dante or the Clockwork Orange. Yes, the themes aren't always political in nature, but conversely, I would imagine that a band that puts out 20 albums raging against the machine would sound kind of one note after a while. What bothers me most of all about the podcast episode is that you spent practically the entire hour gushing fanboy about Max, giving scarcely 10 to 20 minutes on the band's last several albums which are perhaps their strongest to date. To be fair, we did, in fact, gush about Max. We did. Uh, Leroy, 100%. <laughs> uh, Leroy is an incredible drummer, and I think you, and I think really breathed new life into the band. Starting with Mediator, you spent more time bitching about the title than discussing the songs on the album itself. I honestly think that if you gave them the time you deserve, they deserved, you would come out truly appreciating both Machine Messiah and especially Quadra for being really solid albums that hold up well against the Cavalier era really give quadra a listen lastly this may be trivial but several several points to nitpick i told you guys this was a book uh consider max uh has been with the band for 12 years derek has been fronting the band twice as long it seems to me that to judge the entire history of the band through the lens of max cavalera and his historical recollections is going to lead to a pretty subjective biased and distorted judgment of the post max era 
There are four members in the band. I think it makes sense to investigate the recollections of the other three band members as well. On the isolated subject of Derek, Derek Green, per se, I would imagine he had a tough time of it having to relocate from the comfort zone of the New York City hardcore scene uh, to live in Brazil, learning a new language and culture, and having to fill Max's shoes while getting shit on daily for not being Max. Um, understanding what he's had to deal with over the past 20 years and persist has actually made me appreciate him and give him a fair listen. Somebody referenced that the post-Max Sepultura of uh, played only club shows these days while Max still plays festivals. I feel obliged to point out that Sepultura also plays festivals routinely. I think you largely underestimate the whole, uh, the wide following that they have overseas and especially in South America. Uh, the typical claim that there's not an original band member in the band, uh, Paulo Jr. has been with the band since 1984, Andre uh, Andreas uh, since 87 and have been the longest members still around. It's actually a point of comedy that Cavalier brief surfaces on Blabbermouth every three to six months to remind everybody that he doesn't miss them and isn't interested in a reunion while the band has forged ahead. The dismissal of the entire Green Era is simply an Andreas project, where I think, especially with his later albums, Eloy plays a considerable role in composing the songs as well. Okay, thanks for letting me vent. Just want to say I do appreciate your podcast. Huge fan of Zayo, Believer, Living Sacrifice, Stavsicker, and The Crucified. I actually discovered your podcast, by the way, of a Living Sacrifice Facebook group a few days ago and have binging on it, been binging on it ever since. Thanks for covering God, Flesh, and Ministry as well. Some bands I'd love you to discuss and explore in the future. Uh, Bark Market, Melvin's, Mayhem, Cro-Mags, uh, Revocation, Testament, Orange 9mm, and Quicksand. Well, uh, I do have a happy ending to that. We... Uh, we, we have a testament episode and I'm going to spoil it here because it's done. And by the time this comes out, it'll already be out. Uh, so I appreciate <laughs> that. Uh, I did respond to that message. So that that Sepul that Sepultura album was or that Sepultura episode was a long time ago, dude. Um, and and I'm, I'm totally actually all about potentially revisiting the band sometime in the future with some of our revisited episodes. Um, and I agree with some of what he says, like Derek's been in the band a really long time. It's, you know, um, why would you discount the band for not having original members? I mean, everybody knows me. They know that my favorite band is Zayo, and that band famously also has no original members. Uh, you know, so uh, I, I think it's fair criticism. I appreciate it. Uh, one of my favorite things about this show is that we just give our fucking opinions, man. And um, sometimes it goes down nice with people. Sometimes it doesn't go down nice with people. And um, I'm totally open to you guys, you know, shooting back a little bit and being like, no, man, th this is what I, this is why I like this band. And I think you missed out on that. I think that's the essence of the show. And I don't want it to, I don't want that to ever change. Bravo, dude. <laughs> it, was long, it, was, it, it was a book, but I mean, it was important though, because like, I don't want, I don't want anybody to think for a minute that like no 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 i don't want anybody to forget what we do yeah i don't want anybody to think that like just because i don't like a record that you like means that you can't like it <laughs> or or that there's some sort of like reason why you know you're not supposed to like this band or or whatever like i'm totally chill as far as that stuff goes like i love differing opinions i mean it's, it's what the show's built upon so uh bring it on uh, I'm I, glad we had this conversation before we talk about fear before the March of Flames. <laughs> oh, I mean, I don't, I don't have anything controversial to say about fear before, so I'm not worried about that. Let's see who wants to take it first. Let me just spin the wheel and say, so John, tell me about fear before the March of Flames in your own words, preferably. Uh, I guess fear before the March of Flames to me started off kind of being 
uh, I think like a lot of bands we talk about, especially from this era, the, the early 2000s, where music of this kind was kind of all over the place. Everyone was kind of pulling influences from, you know, hardcore, from, I guess, the indie kind of scene that was kind of popping up uh, around. And so you just get this interesting amalgamation of, of different sounds that wasn't really necessarily happening uh, anywhere else. In the beginning, though, I feel like that's sort of a detriment to the band for me personally. I feel like uh, you can kind of definitely hear the influences of who they like were emulating at the time um, personally. But I think what gets interesting is they start going away from those influences and really honing what they do and who they are. And by the time you get to the last record, you have something that's really interesting. And it's really unfortunate that that's where it ends is where it really is where you're most excited to go. Well, now what? Now where do you go? Because that's what has me excited. And, you know, we've been doing a lot of these chats lately about bands that only have four records. And it's really interesting, especially when you do a show like this, where you're kind of taking it all in in a very compact amount of time that you can see the growth happening very quickly. And then it's done. And then you're just like, well, now, now what do I do? Will we get a reunion? Will we get another record? I need more of this. <laughs> yeah. And it, it just kind of sucks because it's like, I I kind of have a love-hate with discographies that are this short where, you know, I to me, you, and I guess we can, you know, I know this isn't necessarily the format, but we can get into the first record and I guess I can kind of kick it off. Let's do that, John. 2003. Odd how people shake. So, like I was just saying, this definitely feels like a young band that's kind of figuring out who they are, but it's like, I like botch, and I like a lot of this odd time signature kind of style stuff that's, you know, happening at this point, but I also like stuff like At The Drive-In, and, you know, Thursday, and some of the stuff that's kind of coming, I guess, Victory to a degree, Victory Records, and some of, like, the smaller AVR even to a degree, uh, and sort of that changing warp Tour scene that was starting to happen um, and they're one of the few that I can kind of like I mentioned those bands, but I can't really think of another band at this time that was kind of taking all of those things and putting them together. Um, a band I thought he was going to mention earlier was from Autumn to Ashes, because it kind of reminds me a little bit of that with the two, you know, the good cop, bad cop kind of vocals and, and kind of the the rawness of this record that it has. Um, it kind of reminds me of that first from Autumn to Ashes record. And but I think it's way more experimental than Vermont to Ashes ever was uh, or ever would be. Um, and that's the thing is there's signs and pieces of this that I really like, but I don't think that they ever fully developed those concepts or those ideas, whether they knew how to or just that's just not what they were doing at the time. So this is one where I would when listening to this, if, if I listened to it when it first came out, I probably would have been like, I'll check out the next thing. But I because I'm interested to see where they go. But this isn't something that's going to be my go to when I listen to this band. This is probably my least favorite record out of the four. I just pissed Dewey off and everybody else who listens to this show and loves this band. <laughs> <laughs> that's John's role on the show. Dewey, what do you think about this record? Uh, I have a very close relationship with this record because this is um, uh, I don't know how in depth you guys get on this thing, but um, as in depth as you want to get. Well, there, so let me preface all of this by saying Fear Before the March of Flames is I am the closest to that band than I am of any band we toured with in my entire career. And for a few reasons. The first reason is we had heard the name. We thought the name was sweet. We were doing our first tour to Denver, Colorado. <clears throat> and our singer, John, uh, 
was fighting with our manager, Kevin, a lot. And basically, we had a van rented for us by Fearless Records to tour in because our van broke down in California. And he said, kind of just said, I'm out of here. I'm done. Like, And we were in there playing and he left with the van and uh, stranded us there in Denver. Went to Arkansas or something and saw some family in the rental van. So all of a sudden we're done playing and we are stuck in Aurora, Colorado. And we played with here before and they were amazing. Uh, This little place called, I believe it was called the Satellite, some weird little like transfer station or something for something. It's weird. It's like a bunker. We played there a few times, but those guys took us in, shuffled us around for like 10 days between their houses, fed us, uh, got us lined up with with a Greyhound home with all of our gear. Uh, back to Portland and we bonded with them like no one like no one else ever so like I say all this stuff good or bad is they are like the I've never been this close to a band before but this was the time they were writing that record and so we'd be down in Adam's basement uh, where we were sleeping and he'd be playing songs they'd be practicing down there you know working through these songs hearing his influences watching him write these songs watching them play them and then when we got back showing their stuff to rise records uh saying you know we need you guys need to put this record i like to do a record with these guys and then when craig signed them uh they came up to portland to record with chris crummett where we had recorded our record for anatomy of ghost in the same garage studio he had at the time so watching them record the record as well uh that whole process we were very close to it um, and then every tour we did after that for the next year was with fear before every single one of them and so we watched them play these songs every night, watch the crowd's response. Uh, but everything from, you know, those, those screams you're talking about, like Dave was still learning how to do it. Dave was Dave. Marion was a, uh, a buddy of the band and would hang out with the band when they were a pop punk band still. Um, and then basically when they started this version of the band, Dave came in and like, you know, Hey, your voice sounds pretty cool. Let's do this. But if you've talked with Dave and hear his voice when he's talking, that's where that, sound come that that breathy deep voice comes from is his his speaking voice so he was still learning how to do that and when you watch them record these songs the screaming the super high pitch stuff adam does they're literally they put the mic against the wall and put their arms against the wall and scream into the wall like they're pushing their body into it and like contorting like throwing everything at this microphone and it was one of the most like visceral recording experiences i'd ever seen um, and also they had Chugger, their second guitar player at the time, who left right after that, uh, right after those tours to go work for his family. So they still had a two guitar player attack and contribution to the band on this record, um, which will come in handy later when we talk about the second record when they didn't. So those are just some background and some things about that record. But I love that record a lot. Um, it is fairly elementary to what they ended up doing later, but I still have that that tie to that record so also not my favorite fear before record by any means uh but i think it was a great record and just seeing what went into it um and what it's about what the songs are about the lyrics are about um there's some heavy stuff on there and and talking through all that with them tied us even closer i think that elementary is kind of the the word i would use to describe it and that's not a bad thing i i think that like this is the most quote-unquote generic uh record by fear before and i say that in a genre that is known for being hyper emotional um it's it's your your all your feelings out on your sleeves 
And what I what I like the most about it is again th- those breathy vocals. Yeah, these are not like grade A like hardcore, you know, in your face beat down uh sort of sort of screamed vocals. It is it is more breathy. It it sounds like a kid. It sounds like somebody that has emotions that are bigger than they are, you know? And I think that that's what the appeal is for me, especially when I'm older and I relate less. Like as I get older, I kind of relate less to music like this. Um, But it does take me back to a point where I did feel feelings that were big like this. And um, it might have been for like the stupidest shit. But in the in the grand scheme of things, like I think that they displayed a level of emotion and integrity on this record that I think a lot of bands in 2003 were not. You know, a lot of a lot of bands in 2003 that are playing this sort of music, um, this kind of like, you know, so emotional that it's almost hardcore sort of style. I think that I think a lot of bands were just playing a style and they were doing a voice. Whereas when I listen to this fear before record, I feel like I feel like this was true emotion. I feel like they they really meant all of this. And yeah, it, it follows it. You know, it has a little bit of that scene core breakdown stuff in it. Um But I mean, for 2003, I mean, that stuff wasn't necessarily like the most mainstream thing. And so what I get out of this record is not a band that was trying to sell records as much as they were just trying to communicate a legitimate emotion uh, to the listener. And that's what I like about it. And I I like the cleans. I like the I like the clean vocals just as much as like the scream vocals, uh, which is something that I don't normally say. I'm usually like, a you know, all dirty all the time, you know, sort of sort of listener. Dan's all about the lyrics. Yeah, but the lyrics are yeah, you know, like Dewey said, they're it's it, they're very heavy. Um, they're very, but they're also very articulate. It, this is not like, this is not like that bitch broke up with me and now I want to kill her. You know what I mean? Mm. Like this isn't like, like 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 the generic quote unquote emo lyrics that that would have come out uh, from other bands at the time. And um and th- so even though this isn't like their best work, it is. Let's put it this way. I've heard a lot worse debut albums <laughs> by by bands. Um, this one keeps me engaged. It keeps me listening. It's not something I'm going to listen to if I want to like listen to something real off the wall and real avant-garde, but they're going to do that for us uh, as we go forward with the discography. Yeah, they they this this record Adam Adams lyrically and and just with I mean just words in general is is kind of a genius that way. He doesn't say a whole, whole lot on just on his own, like just talking. But when he sits down to write something, like it's very thoughtful. And, and these, I mean, I'm not really at liberty to talk about what these lyrics are actually about, but it's some real shit. And it's it's uh, him even putting that out there on the first record is is insane. And uh, like he would listen to Amnesiac by Radiohead as he went to sleep every night when he was writing these songs. So he put that record on and just let it play until he fell asleep. If he fell asleep in the middle of it, whatever. So he's absorbing this stuff. They they basically discovered you know Blood Brothers, Waxwing, all that 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 early like well, not even early but that Seattle kind of stuff, um, and you know this record I think when I say Elementary too, it, it became that over time because so many other bands started to emulate this stuff. When it came out, it was still pretty pretty raw and people were kind of like blown away by it, but it got just buried with all the, every label signing every band again that sounds like this. And uh, I think they really had something. And the other thing too, with with, with we'll coming later with vocals, is is Dave. When you hear Dave talk, his voice sounds a certain way, but he also speaks very slowly. So yeah, it's kind of like 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 Mace, like that rapper Mace that s- speaks slowly. He can rap at a at a at a decent pace, 
But when Dave, so like when he's doing these rah, 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 like it's, it's in a cadence that goes along with his speaking, uh, which also makes it super unique because he does do things slowly. And it's, I, I love that about the delivery. Like a lot of the lyrics had to be done a certain way to get that at yeah. the speed that he could do that. And it, it's just like, everything's enunciated, right. Even though it's so garbled, um, super, super unique, but, uh, yeah, not my favorite, not my favorite record. It was at the time when it came out, but as, absolutely not um, as we go on through the discography. I definitely agree. And my history with this band is 100% Dan forcing me to appreciate this style of music. And it took him a decade to really get it through to me why this was appealing. And I talk about enunciation all the time. It does not matter to me what lyrics you write down on the page. If I can't understand what the vocals are trying to say, I shouldn't have to sit and read it to figure out what the song is about. And for the most part on this record, 100%, the enunciation is there. The message is there. I wish I had listened to this band more in 2003, but unfortunately, as we go on, they are a little bit of everything I love and hate about emo. Was this still called emotional hardcore at the time, or were we full emo in 2003? Man, I think the the screamo thing had been in full effect. Like, it was just more of a... Yeah, it just kept morphing. It kept morphing, and and I think this was like screamo era, because that's when we were around with Anatomy of a Ghost, and that's exactly what we were. Like the years and stuff like that, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I asked because Fear Before, you know, kind of like Glassjaw, for better or for worse, those are like real emotionally driven songs whereas most of the other imitators are just doing a voice and cashing in um this isn't my thing all the time but i like how raw this record sounds versus some of the randomness that happens later on you know they the the later albums and we're about to move to art damage they start to put too many layers on where it doesn't sound improvisational it doesn't sound like a jam it sounds like we're forcing more ideas into your head than the engineer is able to capture and mix effectively are we ready for 2004 i don't know if i was ready for 2004 i mean i graduated from high school then and um that might date me a little bit here but you know but dan art damage is coming out i mean i i remember when art damage came out i mean this record is the first Fear Before record that I heard, and uh, I was all about it uh, for a long time. Uh, man, until I until I met that girl that was like really into this band, and then you know, um, <laughs> you know, some some heartbreak stuff, uh, you know, happened, and most of that was my fault. Uh, I have no problem admitting that, uh, but uh, you know, it's just one of those things where I was like a super awkward dude parading as this not awkward dude. Uh, and so, you know, the cracks definitely showed, uh, in that, uh, but you know, she was really, really into this band and she said that they like made her feel things that other bands didn't make her feel, you know? And, uh, I was kind of like, yeah, that's cool. But like, have you heard, you know, liberate by Zaya, you know? (laughs) And, um, and so like that, that, that sort of stuff, uh, went down, but like this record, I know the first record, you know, we said was like a little bit, or I said, you know, I'm not going to speak for everybody. Uh, but we said that was a little bit more generic. Like, I feel like this record is heavier than the first record. It goes a little bit more hardcore, uh, a little bit less um, emo, for lack of a better term. 
Um, and I think that in a lot of ways, like this record absolutely propels and shows like what the limits are as far as this band is willing to go as far as heaviness. But I guess with this record, I was kind of looking for something a little bit more artsy, something a little bit more off the wall, because that's how this band was kind of sold to me. And when you when you call your record art damage, I expect it to be a little bit more like artsy. Um, and I feel like this one plays it somewhat more safe. Uh, in that it, it it if you're into this style of music in 2004, you're not going to have a problem with this record. I don't think this record is bad. I think I like it for most of the reasons I like the first record. But this one, for whatever reason, was kind of a miss for me. Um, I don't hate it. This was also kind of on the cusp of like heavy bands putting ridiculous song titles down as their you know, I mean the first track track. Hey kid, I'm a computer. Stop all the downloading. You know. Uh, I appreciated that uh, as that was kind of the beginnings of like, you know, meme culture and uh, stuff like that. So I like I really appreciated that. But like at the same time, this is also the era where like bands are naming their songs ridiculous things. Uh, Norma Jean was doing it uh, at the time. You know, the entire world is counting. The entire world is counting on me and they didn't even know it, you know, like that sort of thing. And uh, so, you know, I think it was easy to put fear before in a certain category uh with this record maybe deserved maybe not deserved but uh i didn't like i didn't love this one i i guess is the only thing i i can really say um <clears throat> that might be a negative but i promise you guys uh, i'll be licking this band's balls later so we're, we're good <laughs> like i said there's things on this record i just cannot stand about emo in 2004 but this is one of those times where they've got a little more hardcore influence and I hear old school blindside in this. So I can definitely appreciate it for that level of intensity. Holy shit, that's We're a not deep being cut. random as much as we normally would be with emo in 2004. And I don't have any other explanation than to say when everybody started ripping off Under Oath, that's when it got ridiculous. This one's not as standard. It's a little more intense. I think Dan used this against me at one point to say emo's not just about singing the high note, Joe. Even though they do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this record, this record, this was the time they they signed to EVR, and and we weren't we had broken up 2004 Anatomy of a Ghost, so we weren't touring with them anymore. So a long time, it was really strange not seeing them for that much time. And they went and they did this record with Kurt from Converge at God City, and this is when Adam had to take over all guitars and make the songs so he could play them live with one guitar because they didn't replace Chugger right away. Uh, so watching him try to make these songs into something at the same time progressing their sound, working with Kurt, like I thought it sounded like a like a like a Converge record when I heard it the first time. Um, I didn't know what to think of it at the time. I love that that first break, that big breakdown in Hey Kid, I'm a Computer hooked me though like that first song is just so fast and that snare that like that and brandon was still drumming for them on on this record as well and uh man there was just so it was such a change from their last record but i did not get into this record like i did the others um so again not my favorite fear before record but i loved what dave was doing with the vocals progressing and getting more brutal and just i mean he was opening up different parts of his voice 
And, uh, but yeah, the record is very short and it was just like a blast, um, like to the senses. So that's why, where I get, you know, kind of like a Converge record where like Jane Doe hit me the same way, where it's just like, holy shit, that, that was, oh, and it's over, you know. But there's some funny stuff along the way, like the, the state of Texas versus Fear Before when they broke into a mental hospital that was abandoned and got arrested for trespassing. Like all these, the, like we used to do these ostrich hunts and stuff in this guy, farmer's yard that had ostriches, like all these things tie together in lyrics, like funny stuff. But also with the, with the, hearing hearing like the pretentious part the whole song title thing i think goes against that like you really take yourself so seriously you call your song you know this like why don't we just call it like farts and booze you know like right because they can and it, and the lyrics are there and the music's there who cares what the song's called and i think that's where that started too where they had some very kind of art arty original song titles on the first record and then this one they just kind of went all out with which was i loved but uh it, every band was doing that for sure. I think that trend came more from syllables than words, though, because it wasn't about the number of words. It was about how many syllables the vocalist got to say before the song started while the band was feeding back and just making noise. I always think of Between the Buried and Me. This song is called Chevenel Cut a Flip. It's yeah. four words. The ultimate pretentious But it's a band. long fucking yeah. title. <laughs> <laughs> so this album for me is a lot more listenable, uh, which feels odd to say about a, a band like this. Um, but I think a really good like pinpoint uh, for that thought is Long Road to Nowhere really showcases a lot of what I like about this style of music. Um, it feels like all the pieces, instead of being pieces, it feels like all the pieces kind of create this really... Uh, interesting chaotic mosaic of sorts of you know a song and it just works like everything feels like it's supposed to be there and it has a release basically it, it builds to something and it has this catharsis this catharsis catharsis has this cathartic release uh kind of as everything's happening and i mean you know with long road to nowhere that i mean that riff just god damn that's so fucking meaty like it is a I'm not saying kurt wrote it but goddamn, if if you were to tell me like after the fact, like, yeah, Kurt wrote that one riff, I'd be like, oh, well, yeah, clearly. Um, like, you know, Dewey said, it sounds kind of Converge-esque. So who better to go to to kind of pull out the best of that in a production setting than Kurt? So um, I think Kurt really lended uh, probably a lot of invaluable things to this record for it. How it sounds, probably helping them flesh out their ideas as best as they could. Uh, for the record, because I know Kurt likes to get in there and really work on songs and make them as best as they can be. Um, and that's why almost everything that he touches, whether you are a fan of the band or not, or like the music or not, you can't say that they are the best songs that those people usually have written up to that point. Um, I mean, when they worked with Every Time I Die, at that point, that was like the pin that was like the pinnacle of Every Time I Die sound to me. And it was just like, of course, it took them this long to go to Kurt and put out their best record until the next one that they did. Um, you know, this is also a record where I feel like there's a lot more going on conceptually uh, with the lyrics than, than I'm able to necessarily make out. Um, you know, I'm kind of looking at a song like Consequences, David, You'll See Your Fate in the Sticks kind of leads me to think that, um, you know, and kind of reading the few lyrics I was able to kind of find uh, when doing this, um, you know, Dewey's kind of talked a little bit about uh, some of those things. And we had a discussion last night uh, about some of the other lyrical themes and so forth and, and kind of where they came from. So I definitely know I'm kind of on to the on to the right uh, line of thinking with that uh, as far as when listening to this record. Um, 
there is with a song like Tyrant Meets His Maker, um, I really wish there was more of that influence throughout this record. Um, I, you know, as of when I was listening to this, I was like, I'm really hoping that there's more of that going forward, um, which I guess will take us to the next record. 2006, The Always Open Mouth, subtitle, Documentary of a Podcast Host. Dan's back. <laughs> Did somebody say The Always Open Mouth? I didn't know Jeff was invited. Oh, my goodness. I'm going to go last on this one. Well, do we go first, then? All right. So this record is my favorite Pier 4 record. It's one of my favorite records of all time. And I will say that in full confidence because this record and I loved it the second I heard it. Like, I didn't have to grow into this record like a lot of people did. This record had a lot of a lot of going on. They had uh, Brandon had recorded the drums on this record, but left like right afterwards um and then they got uh goose from who's now in every time i die uh clayton holyoke and then they got uh billy on on uh like i think he was doing keyboards and stuff like that live and then got zach cutchings from the clarity process who they call binks um on guitar and and zach understands delay and like spatial effects more than anyone i've ever known like ever since the early days he would just he just understands it he knows where to go he knows where to put it he's very tasteful um and an amazing guitar player so when they got him and started doing this adam was showing me demos of this um on earlier tours i think on tour with norma jean and under oath um i was working at that same venue and we'd be in the van he'd be showing me demos on the computer so this is when he started to learn how to record on his own dem the demoing everything uh, doing stuff on keyboards, doing stuff on on drum machines. Like he wrote so much of this record in demos. Um, he started getting more into his influences in like 90s alternative rock, like uh, Third Eye Blind, Marilyn Manson, uh, uh, Bush, like all that stuff. Like started coming back, like the songwriting, the songwriting piece. And so when he was doing that, he was demoing. They had a band house. Like everyone was, they practiced in the upstairs. Like everyone was together working and hashing out this record. And I think it's a masterpiece. This this record, there's so many good songs on there. Uh, it's got the, the grit to it, but it's also a very uh, cohesive record. I think it's their most cohesive record. It, it works together. The songs flow together. Uh, you know, there's all sorts of crazy things they did with the production. Uh, like there's a background you can zoom, you can zoom, not zoom in on it, but you can pull it out. But in lycanthropy, they actually put a microphone in the, in a watermelon and like destroyed it. And it's like this <laughs> behind it. You can hear it if you really listen carefully. Um, all, all kinds of production stuff. They had uh, Bobby Darling from Gatsby's American Dream co-producing it with Casey Bates. And those guys together are one of my favorite production teams. Um, and Casey really took this band to another level um, production wise. Kurt is a great producer, but back then he wasn't what he is now. So he was still figuring it out. And so I don't think Art, Art Damage sounded as good as the first record. And I don't think uh, any either of those records sound as good as Always Open Mouth or the, the self-titled that Casey did. Um, so... Uh, you know the song the song mouth is a is a just a monster of a song like the whole record just flows together great and and being around it more uh, and then we ended up when i joined portugal the man we ended up touring with fear before uh on the poison well tour 
that they were still on always open mouth touring on and you could see the fan response was not there and that crushed them because they put so much work into that record and it was such a good record but people just were not understanding what it was so like their slots on tours would drop to where they would be you know not main support but be the second opener um you know it's it, it, it that's when everything started to kind of compress um and the pressure was there like do we continue do we stop like people just aren't understanding this um but yeah it was it's my favorite fear before record for sure I remember the first time Dan put this one on in the car and said, it's so dark. It's got tension in places where there should only be melody. It's very reminiscent of 90s bands like Alice in Chains that use that melodic tension to move point counterpoint against each other. And guitarists just kind of know where to put an open G string and let it ring out. And I didn't like this at first. I think this was my favorite one to go back to this week. I get the same vibe from this that I get from a Catch For Us The Foxes or Brother Sister, Me Without You. The way the record just flows together, it feels like a single cohesive piece of music or emotion. I don't hear the generic emo vibes that I mostly can't stand when I listen to this. It sounds like the best thing they've ever created. It's absolutely that. I think so far out of the three records, this is the one I like the best. I think this is really the band turning turning a corner and really firing on all cylinders and just writing good songs, writing really great songs, actually. And I feel like this is the first record where a lot of attention was paid to the track listing, the order the songs are in, the experience that they're giving you from the moment the album starts, the in-between, and the way it ends. There's, I mean, we're all we're all going to say this, I know we are, but this is, this feels like an important record. This feels like something that en- envelopes you, basically, and it takes you on some kind of a journey, whether it's your own personal, whether it's something you're finding in the lyrics, whether... It's something the music's doing to you. I, I would almost defy anyone to listen to this record and not have some kind of a, a reaction to it. Um, I would almost sort of liken it to maybe taking, you know, shrooms or something where it's going to sh- reveal something about yourself uh, when you listen to it. Um, you know, it was kind of interesting. You know, I think this is the first time really that I've kind of really dived into the lyrics on, on the record. And, you know, even, you know, my fucking deer hunter, like with the way that they're trading the lyrics with Anthony Green toward the end of the song, I think is really interesting. And if you're not necessarily paying attention to it, you're probably not necessarily seeing the the kind of, uh, what is that called when, when you do that? Um, like call and response, kind of, mm-hmm. uh, with the vocals. And called a duet, yeah. John. Well, specifically the style of how they're doing the vocal. But uh, no, I, this, is, this is a fucking great record. Um, this is one where... I wish I would have found it when it first came out, but it's kind of the beautiful thing about music is, you know, it always exists long before or after a band is around. Uh, You can always find it. And sometimes these records find you when when you need them. And I think this is one of those records where if you never were a fan of this band or had never heard of them until you're listening to this episode, I think you really need to do your due diligence and and go listen to this record and and see what it reveals to you. This also had a lot more 
participation in writing with with Dave um, and even Mike Madruga, the bass player, wrote his first song on this record. And uh, uh, it, it, there was just so much, and it and it was Brandon and Brandon knew it was his last time recording with the band on drums. And I mean, the performance is there, and uh, it's just uh, it's it's their it's their idea, it's their it's their masterpiece. Like it's uh, I don't even know how you follow. Even if the band was to continue, I don't know how you follow up a record like that and continue. I mean, it just hit so many levels um and i think it's going to continue to grow i mean you can buy it on ebay now on vinyl for 200 dollars. i mean it's it's out there stimulus checks baby yeah they're here stimulus <laughs> checks. i already spent mine it's on my wall <laughs> fair enough so how does a band break out of a genre Th- this is how this is how you go from being a band that all the scene kids like you know you're playing you're playing a a, a, a show and there's like three local openers, but all these kids with like bright pink, you know, dyed hair, you know, just a line of them, 50, 50, 60, 100, 200, standing outside that venue waiting. And they're only here to hear Fear Before the March of Flames. And they love, they love the first two records. It's their Bible. And then you put out something like, you put out something that is heartfelt. You did heartfelt music before, you know, you like, you, you, you gripped people, but then you decided to put a record out that is a little bit more of a representation of, of maybe who you are. And it's not, it's not in the context of emo. It's not in the context of screamo or it's not in the context of hardcore. It's just a legitimate representation of where you're at that moment. You know, that's the always open mouth that, that is that this is a band that says, okay, fuck our old records. Like not not that those are bad. We're gonna we're gonna play some songs off those. It's fine. But the always open mouth is where a band has been successful enough to realize that they don't have to necessarily fit in with with what the conventions of the genre are. And by 2006, people were starting to look for something a little different anyway. This is a unique case in that usually when a band that plays a specific style gets popular for playing a specific style, if they deviate from that style at all, the old school fans hate it. Whereas with Fear Before, the fans embraced it because I think I think largely they were they were tired of the generic sing scream uh, sort of formula, and it's not necessarily that they did that. Maybe a little bit on art damage, but not too bad. Um, but like this is where you know your your thirteen year old, fourteen year old kids listening to this record and thinking like, okay, now I know something about music. It it makes you it makes you feel special in a way. Like you're, you're like you're part of something that maybe maybe your peers don't get or they don't fully understand. And I hear a lot of that, like '90s alternative rock uh, sort of sort of uh, songwriting in here. And what I love about it is that it is unabashedly like this is a better representation of who we are than what we've given you guys in the past. And this record goes in so many different directions. It has the emotional, like screamo hardcore stuff that you like from the band. But at the same time, it's also just got a lot of straight-ahead rock on it, an alternative rock, and kind of that that, that '90s kind of—I don't want to say grunge because it's not really like that. But like I hear, it's it's weird listening to a song and hearing at the drive-in and, and Bush, you know, in, in the same uh, sort of context. And this is such a true representation of what the band is and what they stand for. 
I I can't I can't describe it as anything other than like it was so groundbreaking for them. It is the Citizen Kane of emotional hardcore because it 100% is that genre, but it is 100% so much more than that. I love the fuck out of this record, and I don't want to I don't want to understate that for anybody. This is this is beyond me having a girlfriend that liked this band. Um, it can't be denied that they were doing something different than everybody else at this time. When, when, when in 2006, everybody's still riding on the coattails of whatever Under Oath was doing, Fear Before delivers in a much more Fear Before way than they ever have in the past. And it's, it's disappointing to me in the sense that, like, I could have listened to, like, 20 more of these. Um, it's like the chariot. When everybody starts to do what they're doing, they just do more. It's not. It's not like the chariot. Um, it's. <laughs> it's. It's more. It's more real than that. It's less gimmicky. There's no gimmick on this record. Even the song titles aren't as like tongue in cheek as they were before. They're not. They're not meme song titles. Uh, Drowning the old hag. Ten seconds in Los Angeles. The waiting makes me curious. Like all of that actually wraps into what these songs are are really about. Um, and it's a work of art. And um, this is this is one of the few times in in this podcast where I will give a record a ten out of ten and say, honestly, even if they tried tomorrow, they can never top this record in the sense that the decisions that they made were such a perfect combination of musical choices, songwriting, and the time that it came out. This record's amazing, and it, it's frustrating that, in a certain sense the popularity of the band sort of waned a little bit here because I think the average person is just like, oh, well, this doesn't sound like name a band in 2006. <laughs> you know, um, it's a real thing. It's just real. And it's it's my favorite record by the band. Uh, 10 out of 10, uh, would buy again. 11 out of 10, I, I will pay the $200. Just you wait. You're saying this one goes to 11? Yes. This is their white pony, man. It, it is. It, it propelled them like... Not as far, of course, but it propelled them out of that genre from before. Absolutely. There's so no expectations going forward. There's hmm? no expectations. So this is an album about cocaine as well? The album title, at least? They did have Dave <laughs> drink a fifth of whiskey and then sit in a room with a microphone on, and that's him screaming in the back, just gibberish, completely wasted, like ready to pass out in the background on that record. It's absolutely hilarious. Love it. Gentlemen, it's time for 2008. Is it a new band? Did they change their name because everybody called them Fear Before? I know I did because Fear Before sounds like an abbreviation for a really cool band name because there's just too many syllables, guys. Come on. Um, there it is. <laughs> the waiting was Damn making it, you curious, John. The waiting made you curious. Three, I two, was one, not really go. With how great the last record was, I felt like this was a little bit of a... A fall off for me. Um, I and I honestly I can't necessarily put my finger on it. Uh, I, I don't know if it's that I feel like at times this album just kind of meanders and hangs around too long. Uh, some at times like where I feel like the other one, like the last record we just talked about, it, it felt like it was taking you somewhere and it felt like it was guiding you along the way. And I feel like this one just kind of is. It, it's there. The songs are there. Um, and at times I feel like they could have been shortened or uh, I, I don't know. Like I said, I went back to this one a couple more times this week because I was like, maybe maybe I'm missing something. Maybe there's something that I'm just not latching on to. And I then kind of kept coming back to the conclusion. But I didn't have that problem with the last record or the record before. 
So why is this one the record that I just kind of go, eh, like, eh. And part of me like then goes, is this why the name kind of changed? Like, because it's not necessarily the same band. Um, I don't know. This one just left me with a lot of questions. <laughs> it took me on a journey of self-exploration of <laughs> what is this record and why don't I like it? Uh, as much as the rest, considering how much collectively we all just were talking about how great that last record is. Why don't I like this one as much? And I, I don't really have a definitive answer. It just for me, it didn't resonate with me the same way the last one did. And maybe that's the come down of how great that record is. And sometimes that happens. A record so fucking good that anything the band would put out beyond that record is just going to pale in comparison and just not live up to the expectation we as fans have. Um, and I think this is sadly just one of those examples for me and is kind of a really sour note to kind of end the band's career on personally. Brutally speaking, indeed, um, I, I like this record. Um, I don't like it as much as the always open mouth, but I mean, who does? Um, this is if we're going to bring Between the Buried and Me back into it, this is like what they were trying to do after Colors. The great mystery. Where I've, I've dropped a record that I that I personally think is perfect and that the fan base thinks is perfect. How do we follow that up? Uh, this is how they follow it up. This is this is more of an alternative rock record for me. And I honestly have no issue with it at all. Um, is it as gripping as the always open mouth? Of course not. But it also seem it feels to me like a band that's being more honest with themselves about what their influences are and where they come from, because it has a lot more of that alternative rock, that straight ahead sort of, you could almost call it commercial, but it's really not because I don't think Fear Before has released a commercial album. I think every time a record exec's like, yeah, we got a hit on our hands, uh, then they start screaming and, and you know, and, and, and go, you know, completely off the cuff. Um, this record for me is the natural progression from, you know, something like an always open mouth. Does that make it as good? I don't necessarily think so, but it's also kind of like comparing like, I don't fucking know, like a really good fucking ice cream sandwich to a, like an ice cream sandwich that has like fucking cocaine on it. I, I don't know. Like it's hard to, it's hard, it's hard to describe for me, but like. I really, really, really love this record. Um, I love Jabberwocky. I love Everything's Not Shitty, even though I disagree with that statement. Um, but like, I don't know. I feel like this was the band fully realized. And I feel like this, in a lot of ways, is the band that they started off. They started out to make. If we flipped the Always Open Mouth and this record in the timeline, would this be a 100% uphill discography for you? Maybe. Yeah. I mean, that's hard to say. Because, I mean, this is this is one that I bought day one and, like, honestly, like, really loved it. Like, I didn't really have any issue with it. Um, I was beyond bands having to be just, like, all heavy all the time. But this is still, like, a super heavy record. But I don't know. I like the way that I like the way that they're blending, like, more traditional, like, uh, alternative rock in with, like, some of this more heavy shit. So that's that's all I got on this one. I'm not going to I'm not going to throw a Citizen Kane on it or anything. But like this is <laughs> still really fucking good. It's like it's like a different, you know, uh, it's like a different Orson Welles movie. Well, this this record, uh, I also have ties to my cousin uh, engineered this record with Casey. Um, and so I got to go in and see some of these sessions and, and listen to some, how they're working these vocal melodies out. And, you know, Dave singing a lot more on this record was really cool. 
uh, really finding his voice in more than just uh, like it happened on always open mouth, but he progressed even further on this one. Uh, but yeah, this one, this one, I, I love the songs on this record, but I do. I'm, I'm in agreement. Like always open mouth is more of a favorite to me. Uh, but this record, this record was, was really well done. It, they put a lot of work into uh, every aspect of it, but I think they knew this might be their last record. And maybe there wasn't as much, um, uh, I, want, I don't want to say effort. There, there, there was a different vibe in the room when they were recording this record than when I was in the garage when they were recording the first record. There was a different vibe on these songs and how it was coming together than on Always Open Mouth, like even from the demos. So this record definitely had a dark cloud over it uh, as it was being recorded. And um, yeah, it just, it, it was, it ended up being the last thing they ever did really. And, and, um, but yeah, there's, this record is, is, uh, is my second favorite by them. Like it would be always open mouth, uh, fear before record. And then, uh, the first record that our damage last. So, um, this one's still up there for me too, but yeah, I, I, I wish they would have continued, but this is a, a strong showing at the end for sure. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's what I keep. The thing I haven't been able to put my finger on is this almost looming sense of finality that the band somehow was able to capture and put into the music. And I, I don't know, maybe maybe that's it. Maybe that's, I'm just, I, I don't, I, I'm not connecting with that. And it just kind of feels like a bum out at times. So you're just kind of like, oh shit, I don't really want to listen to this. Like I, I can go do, <laughs> I can do other things and be bummed out or, you know, kind of, uh, having that vibe um i don't know maybe that's maybe that's the thing i haven't been able to put my finger on kind of maybe helped me figure that out john i think you have a deeper connection to this band than you admitted at the start of the show otherwise you wouldn't be this upset that the last record is not the always open mouth i just think it's frustrating sometimes like you know we we that's sort of what i was talking about in the beginning where it's really sometimes really hard to only have such a very small collection of music put out over a little bit of time but when you're able to see this much progression so quickly and and just go well fuck where could you have gone from here what would you have grown into what would dave lyrically as a vocalist and lyrically what would he have grown into what would the band have started imp implementing beyond what they already were doing and those are the things that kind of become a bum out because you're like fuck there's so much potential here and it's it's just never was fulfilled the way I guess I would have liked to have seen it. And that's the unfortunate thing. I think the downside of being a music reviewer um, is that I think sometimes there's an expectation that everything has to be a fucking 10 out of 10. Everything's got to be, you know, innovative. You know, we've gotten we've gotten one star reviews from people before that are like, you know, very pessimistic. You know, they didn't like a band that was totally solid because the band was totally solid and they didn't they didn't push you know, further than they could have been. Like, like we, like we expect every band to be fucking Pink Floyd or something like that. Um, and I'll admit to that. I think, I think I've probably embodied that before on on other episodes. But I think the thing to keep in mind is that you know, when, when you're in a band and you're on that ground level and you're you're writing that next record or you're you're, you're coming up with those new ideas, I think it's more important to do what feels good to you than to spend time worrying about what people are, are going to think or, or or even necessarily feeling like if you've, if you've reached a milestone achievement that you have to like somehow 
top that every single time you record something. And I don't think that that's necessarily the best goal because I think I think that's how we end up with like really fucking hokey records uh, by bands. Um, you know, like if you look at if you look at Fear Before, you know, versus the Always Open Mouth, like you're yeah, like one's more innovative than the other. But I also feel like the follow up follows the follows the Always Open Mouth really well and delivers kind of on the on the promise that that the always open mouth kind of kind of made in that like we're gonna we're no longer going to put out records that are just for like hardcore kids with 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 pink dyed hair at shows like we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna like really push forward and try to do what we want to do musically um and i think a lot of the times too what we as music reviewers will will put on bands is well how did you top this how you know what else you got blah 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 but really, I think that as a musician, the most important thing is to make music that makes you feel good. And to be honest with yourself as a performer. Yeah, like, fuck all what anybody else says. You know, you're the one fucking doing it, you know? And I think that I think that that's how you get a record like Fear Before. Like, yeah, is it as innovative? No. But at the same time, it's also like we really, really hit our stride on this last record and we want to kind of continue in a similar vein. And I think that that's totally valid. I think every record doesn't have to reinvent the wheel, as generic of a term as that is. Like, I really like the always open mouth. And so I like Fear Before because it's kind of a, in a certain sense, kind of a continuation of that. So that's all I really have to say about it. I don't have like some profound world changing ideal about it. But like, I I don't know, like Jabberwocky is a fucking killer song, (laughs) you know, like. Um, and it's on this record. So like, fuck anybody that's like, oh, they never got really any better. They just plateaued. They didn't really plateau. They've got very little output in the grand scheme of things. And um, I think what they did give us was was always killer and always, always in your face. And I can't ask any other band. I can't ask any any other band to do more than that. Would that be your final thought, Dan? Yeah, sure. Why not? Streamline. <laughs> Dewey, final thoughts on Fear Before the March of Flames. Uh, Fear for the March of Flames is it? I think they're a crucial band uh, to the early two thousands. Uh, you know, up until their end, I think it's. Uh, uh, I think they did a lot of good things, um, but but you know, always open mouth is a classic. Um, I think yeah, I think they still ended strong with with Fear before, um, but you know, from I'm not a music reviewer. I'm I'm a musician, so like I don't. This is really weird being on this side of things because uh, I look at a lot more um, than face value on these things because um, I've been there and and it's what I know. Um, I usually don't read a lot of reviews and things like that. So this was I was really excited to do this because I've never done anything like this before. So I'm, I may be the the guy in the corner that's like you know I love this band so they're really good, and I am because I think they are and. Uh, you know, I know the backstory to all of this to where it means a lot more to me. Um, and I probably listened to it with a biased ear. Um, but I think judging from the, the, when they come on my show, uh, the comments, the, the people reaching out about wanting them back so badly, um, you know, I think they're an important piece of the puzzle and, um, I wish they would get back together and do something else, but I really doubt that's going to happen. Um, I think it'd be awesome if they did, but um, all individually, they've all gone on to do really great things. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I am forever in debt to them for for helping us out and and getting us, keeping us as a band as long as we were, which was very brief. 
um, but also the the contribution to the music scene I think is huge. Um, I think they changed a lot of things. I think they changed a lot of things in touring, um, just by their example when they were touring with bands, the way bands tour, the way bands uh, converse and and become friends and family. Um, they fostered that too, and so it was good. John, what about you? Uh, sorry, I just love the fact that you know three of us are playing the the change your avatar name thing, and just uh, so much fun. <clears throat> Uh, Fear Before the March of Flames is one of those bands that uh, I never really listened to in real time uh, when they actually were putting out these records. Uh, they were a very peripheral band for me uh, as far as... <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> um, sour face, lemon face, lion face. Ooh. Um, I remember a lot of people showing me this band when they were coming out, and unfortunately, this just wasn't really music that I was into at the time, and, and I really kind of regret not getting into it. Uh, there are a lot of bands I've done this with and then later become really big fans of. Uh, going through this discography this week really kind of showcased uh, a band that I thought was one thing and clearly evolved into something much more beyond what I think any of us probably would have assumed they would have been but I think is a great representation that if you're passionate about what you're doing and you don't let others kind of ruin the recipe, so to speak, like I don't know how to really articulate it, but that basically if you just kind of go on your own journey and, and are unafraid to take chances, that some really fucking great stuff can come of it. And this is a band that I think does that very well. Um, I may, I may be the minority that doesn't necessarily like that last record in comparison to um, The Always Open Mouth, but um, that one record is probably better than most people uh, will ever achieve as far as their musical legacy, and I think you should listen to this band. I didn't like this band when we started this week. I had a lot of memories of the barrage of copycats that talked about Fear Before and Under Oath and put them on this pedestal and constantly sounded like we were writing the same song. But that happens every time music gets popular. Fear Before is in a completely different category of emotional hardcore. And it's unfair to say that that is a valid category, but they don't feel like a copycat to me. And I'm glad Dewey mentioned musician versus music reviewer. You know, we talk about music on this show, but we've all played music. It's fun for me to listen to music and break it down a little bit because that's what I do every single day. That's what I do when I hang out with my friends and talk about music and what we like and what we don't like. And then years go by and you spend a week with Fear Before and it doesn't sound the same. You don't have the same feelings that you had for it because of the barrage of everybody else around you telling you it's the greatest band that's ever played hardcore or emotional hardcore. And I'm going to spend more time with this band now because I see the impact that they left on everybody else and they were in a class all their own. If they came back tomorrow, I'd go to the show. So I think everybody needs to turn around and take another look at Fear Before the March of Flames. There's a reason everybody talked about them. It's unfortunate that a lot of that was popularity of the genre, not necessarily how deep this band really was. I'd never heard anybody talk about how deep they were, but I think everybody knew 
that there was something else to this band that wasn't part of the norm. Dewey, thanks for hanging out with us, man. Dude, absolutely. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. It was good. Where can everybody find uh, Peer Pleasure? Just on the website and on the social medias? Yeah, every, every well, the thing that sucks is it's different everywhere. So uh, Facebook is Peer P Pod. Uh, Instagram is at Peer Pleasure Pod. And Twitter is at Pod Peer Pleasure. There's a, we started a Facebook group called the Peer Pleasure uh, Inner Circle. It's on Facebook. You can search it out. Um, and then, yeah, purepleasurepodcast.com is the website. So, <laughs> Very cool. <laughs> One of the things we do every week at the end of these shows <laughs> is talk about albums that we've been listening to all week. It's not necessarily what you've been listening to for the show, but, you know, just an album of the week, something that you've been listening to that you think everyone else should. Dewey, what's your album of the week? Oh, man. Uh, well, my album of the week's old because I've been on a real kick lately, as John can tell you, but... Uh, Energy by Operation Ivy. I've been listening to it most of the week. Old school uh, Berkeley, East Bay, punk. And uh, there's also a really good uh, band called Slothrust that put out a new song called Cranium that's it's, uh, really solid. I've been listening to that quite a bit. Um, but yeah, I, I don't listen to a lot of new stuff very often. So um, yeah, my album of the week is like 35 years old or whatever. I might have you beat on the timeline when we get there. John, what about you? Uh, a killer new fucking record that just came out called God's Hate. Self-titled record, God's Hate. Lift heavy shit and destroy a small city and children to this thing. It's a soundtrack to the apocalypse. Damn, what about you? Well, it's mail day for me, so uh, I'm going to have to go with Circleback, The Gift of Time. Put out by Blasphemer Records. This, this album is four songs it's not an album according to our rules but uh yeah i'm i'm totally into it man circle back is playing the best hardcore you've heard this side of knock loose well john mentioned earlier that music is always here and one of my favorite albums of the week has been death for the world to see an album that almost wasn't there and it is some serious heavy punk rock music before punk i said it find the record it's digital you can buy the flax it's great take us out dft if you've ever been listening to this podcast and you would like to have more control over what bands we talk about you can absolutely do that but you're gonna have to reach out to us because i can't read your fucking mind so like you gotta tell me because i'm dumb and you gotta spell it out for me so there's a lot of different avenues that you can take to spell it out for me you can follow us on facebook at facebook.com slash discography discussion you can follow us on Instagram at Discuss Metal. You can follow us on Twitter at Discuss Metal. You can send an old-fashioned email at show at gmail.com. So, I mean, if you can't get a hold of us at this point, it's it's kind of your fault. Uh, we have a Discord server if you want to talk to us and uh, other fans of the podcast 24-7, uh, you know, like all those days of the week. There's a link in the show notes that will take you right to our Discord server. It's a good time. A lot of good people on there. And uh, you can also contribute to us on Patreon. If you go to patreon.com slash discuss metal, uh, we've got some sweet, sweet perks. I've got some perks right here for you. And, uh, you know, on honestly, like you're, you're doing yourself a disservice if you have not gotten the discography discussion hoodie at our Teespring store. There's a link in the show notes that'll take you right to our Teespring. 
and uh, it will absolutely hook you up with all kinds of sweet merch that has our logo emblazoned all over it. So yeah, check it out. I, you know, you're, you're helping me pay my mortgage, and I appreciate that. And on that note, this has been episode 215 of Discography Discussion. Thank you for listening. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Discuss Metal. Subscribe to our podcast everywhere you listen to podcasts, including Google Play, Apple Podcasts, and Stitcher. Visit DiscussMetal.com for all things discography discussion. And please send questions and comments to Show at gmail.com. If you are not a patron, you can become one at patreon.com forward slash discuss metal. We have some sweet perks. Give me your money. $1 a month gets you into that exclusive album review feed. 